previously on Inside Supercars, we looked at how robots could perform pit stops with Stephen Richards, DTM's Sporting and Technical Director, Michael Oresson, and Triple Eight Race Engineering's Jeremy Moore. In terms of engineering, in terms of um, safety, of course the world is going more and more safety conscious and uh, we, can, we can see more automation there. Um, maybe not supercars, but in particular in, uh, in Formula One or even, even DTM, I believe I've seen some, some clips of possible automated pit stops. It's certainly on the radar. Theoretically, technically, no problem. If you look at it with the eyes of the sport, you realize that there's a few barriers. So while we know the technology is currently available, the economics and sporting drivers to do robotic pit stops, including cost, WHS and entertainment, haven't yet aligned to make it a viable alternative to the current processes. But technology is restless, and today on Inside Supercars we look at another step in technological racing. Can you remove the driver from the car? DTM Electric has done that with a car they tested last year. Michael Russell, the technical and sporting director of DTM, explains. You know, when we started the project, also here we had a very romantic approach. You drive a car remotely, every kid can do it with a remote control. How difficult can it be? Well, how difficult? On Inside Supercars today, we find out. For those nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day, there's pickup. Or at Friday Work Drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub, there's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. In our last show, Jeremy Moore, the Technical Director at Triple Eight Race Engineering, looked at the technology required for automated pit stops and how close that is to reality. I mean, we've, we've said that you're probably not going to see cars drive by themselves um, not too long ago, and yet here they are um, driving around. So there's a, um, a series um, where it's purely a robotic driver. So that's a lot more of a complex automation than, than physically taking a wheel off and putting it on and, and lifting a car up and down in the air. So I've got, uh, as an engineer, I've got a lot more confidence in, in that sequence of events happening um, regularly and, and correctly than, uh, than a car being able to driven at, with all different um, outside, uh, outside um, items happening where they haven't thought of, like driving in public where something runs across the street in front of them or something um, falls down from a roof in front of them or you know, all these different strange things that can happen. Um, but in a pit stop, there's, yeah, it's just taking a wheel on and off. It's not uh, the, the hardest sequence of events to robo-size um, or automate. We have reached out to Robo-Race, which after many years of development, humans versus robot time trials, they have now held two seasons with fully automated vehicles and this year will have their first full season of racing. Unfortunately, we're yet to hear back from them, but 
in 2019, the DTM Racing Series announced it would be developing a DTM electric program. The series to feature cars with a thousand horsepower and could be powered from battery or hydrogen. In 2020, they produced the first prototype car at the season finale at Hockenheim. So, what is DTM Electric? The vision was and still is to have the most performant electric race class of the world, which uh, we are currently working on it, which, uh, a megawatt of uh, propulsion energy, which is uh, equals to more than a thousand horsepower, obviously, four-wheel drive, very beasty uh, car, only 1,600 kilos, 600 there of the battery. So that's all happening. In 2023, DTM Electric could be making its debut, and last year, DTM gave the new car some test laps, but with a difference. The driver wasn't physically inside the car. DTM Trophy champion Tim Heinemann drove the car from a state-of-the-art simulator located in Graz. Here's some of what they learned. Uh, well, to be honest, it was, it was six months of continuous learning. Uh, uh, you know, when we started the project, also here we had a very romantic approach. You know, you drive a, you drive a car remotely. Every kid can do it with a remote control. How difficult can it be? But then, you know, you start looking into the safety aspects, the emergency brake triggering, the connectivity issues, how to make sure uh, you bring the the reaction, the latency time uh, between the simulator and what the car does down below 100 milliseconds, because that's the way how you can drive the car. Uh, you have uh, harmonics and resonances in the, the, the network between the, the driver simulator that was basically uh, 60 miles away uh, from the racetrack. So what, what you, you feel, you experience things that you would not see in, under normal circumstances. The biggest uh, challenges, obviously, for from a driver aspect, is that you sit in a yes, uh, activated and, and motion controlled simulator, but you can't really hear and feel the, the traction limits of your vehicle. So basically, we had to bring also in a lot of acoustic signals uh, for the driver so that he feels more comfortable uh, to get towards the limit. Uh, but I think. So the, the, one of the biggest challenges was to make sure the connection between the driver simulator and the, the vehicle is not getting lost. So we had a lot of partners to uh, secure that with a 5G remote network, with a giga network, et cetera, et cetera, and the, and the, and the radio, radio controlled and Wi-Fi system. So basically you have a lot of redundancies to make sure when the driver hits the brake, the car brakes, or the other way around, if it doesn't break, the car doesn't break. So that's, uh, that was an enormous challenge. Michael Russell says that while they have developed the remote racing system, they won't be looking to remove the driver entirely from DTM Electric. We, we have seen Rubber Race being a fully autonomous series, which we are not uh, going uh, to introduce this. Uh, credits to these guys, um, a tremendous job, but also here we believe our race series is based on the driver's heroes. So basically, the, the, the fans want to engage with the driver rather than the engineer. He says that the next step forward in technology are just evolutionary and not so much revolutionary. Uh, and there's an enormous amount of AI used already 
to make sure that the, the hero that you see uh, can win the race. So uh, AI has started in motor racing since, yeah, basically since I started my career more than 20 years ago. We we didn't call it AI at the time, but, you know, advanced computing. You know? If AI is the extension of computers in motor racing, then we should have a quick look at how they have developed. Let's look at the pinnacle, Formula One. In 1950, the World Championship commenced in its current form. One year earlier, the first programmable computer using a five-hole punch tape was built at the University of Cambridge. It was manual going for the most part until the mid-70s when telemetry was introduced. The data was taken by about 14 sensors which recorded the car's performance and was downloaded when the driver returned to the pit garage. In the 1980s, engine management systems, or EMS, were introduced. These not only collected telemetry, but would improve the efficiency and reliability of the engine while performing diagnostics and tracking during the race. Now, every vehicle on the road has an EMS to help improve the performance and adapt to the strengths and weaknesses of the driver. But having the data in the car was helpful, but it wouldn't improve the performance of the vehicle during the race. By the end of the 1980s, broadcasting the data back to the teams at the garage was now begun. And now engineers moved from being highly skilled mechanics to data analysts who could turn the reports from the sensors into meaningful adjustments that the driver could make in the car. By the early 90s, there was nothing that couldn't be controlled by the computer. Active ride systems adjusted the suspension and ride heights, power steering, power braking, increasing the traction into the corners. Traction control ensured the fastest exit. Formula One was in a computing arms race, and the series around it was taking baby steps, adopting many aspects of this technology, perhaps with the exception being NASCAR. While adaptive technologies were being eliminated by the governing body, more and more data was being collected. So much so that the teams needed to have more and more people than it was affordable or transportable to the track. This saw the rise of the mission control at the team's HQ. Nowadays, the entire process of getting the information from the car at the track to mission control at the team's HQ is hundredths of a second. In fact, recently on the 3rd of March, supercars moved to ensure that they don't have this type of data arms race, with the series moving to ban remote relaying of data out of the track precinct and away from the people nominated at the track to be performance personnel on the vehicle. While that's the history, there are situations currently where autonomous driving will increase safety for competitors and could soon be introduced. Our BGM Electric Series is prepared to take on elements of autonomous drive. So for example, if you look at the, the current safety car situation, uh, we call it the good old days, safety car comes out, all the cars line up behind the safety car, reduce the speed, do all the steering wheel uh, turning to, to warm up the tires, bring the engine and the brakes to a, to a good 
temperature, and then we just wait until the safety car goes off. We in DTM Electric would do it the different way. Uh, there's a safety car, car mode applied in the car, so basically you press the button, and because we have a drive-by wire, we have a brake-by wire and a steer-by wire, uh, we can disconnect the driver in the car from what the car does. So basically in a safety car mode, we would press the button and the engineer program takes over. So whatever the person in the car does, the car brings his tires to the right temperature, cools down the brakes and brings the battery into the temperature window where the restart just gives them a benefit. So we don't actively take case in the in the racing experience, but bridge the, the gap for a safety car. Same thing would be uh, to basically either autonomously drive the car out of the pits into the grid, or as we did it in uh, this year already, uh, run it out of a out of a simulator. So basically, every car could be around the pits, do the warm up lap, and uh, position itself on the grid, either autonomously or via an esports champion uh, remotely. Stephen Richards is a five-time winner of the Bathurst 1000, and he says that this technology is already on the public roads, even in Australia. That technology, in particularly in heavy vehicle transport, is already being tested. I'm guessing follow me type system is, is more than capable being implemented already. You know, I know for a fact that we've had tests going up and down the Hume Highway between Melbourne and Sydney, where there are trucks that are following other trucks with, with drivers in them are testing automation in terms of a follow-me system where, you know, a truck uses a beam radar to, to follow the truck in front. So I know that, te- that technology exists and it wouldn't be hard, but... Well, uh, I totally agree that in the real world or whenever you have autonomous cars uh, involved, to allow them to uh, go to their full strength being fully autonomous it only works if you have a controlled environment. So a racetrack would allow that because you don't have the classic bicycle or the pedestrian that crosses the way. You shouldn't, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we, we see this. But so a racetrack would allow for an absolute perfect environment for testing autonomous uh, systems. On the road, it only works if everybody is autonomous because otherwise the autonomous cars always uh, are the, the slowest and uh, they uh, put more caution on it. The activation method for the safety car, so autonomous system, is still being decided by the DTM, as Michael explains. We could activate it via the race director, obviously, because you just send the signal uh, into the car. Uh, and I think it's to be decided if we want to do it like that, uh, because obviously there needs to be a time difference between the, there's a warning to the driver's attention, it's a yellow mode, and then the, the fuel activation. And, you know, you can play it either the way that the race director presses the button and everybody goes into safety mode automatically, or you have an element of reaction time that you count as points for the driver to have the unpredictability. I think uh, during a safety car mode, what you want during a safety car is that everybody behaves. So either they keep the same distance or uh, they make sure they don't overtake or uh, you allow them to get closer to each other. And this is where we think it's an it's a, an, uh, an ideal environment of proving autonomous systems. 
so first car is basically the, the benchmark and we can exactly uh, control the speed uh, via the autonomous mode. So obviously the speed will go down uh, because there's an issue, so it needs to go down for, this, for safety reasons. And all the other cars uh, will be exactly how we want to put them. We believe that the machine or the, the AI in the car then can produce a better restart environment for the car than the driver would be because, again, there's the element of the, of the driver. An artificial intelligence is ready to pace the field in safety cars. Roborace is preparing for racing of driverless cars. But is the DTM ready or willing to take that step? of moving the driver completely away? You mentioned AI, and I would put it that way. The driver is our absolute hero because that's the visible hero. Uh, the engineers are our heroes because they are not visible heroes. Now, the hero driver. That is definitely something Stephen Richards can agree with. What we need in our sport is for it to be really interesting is to have that element of humanisation where, you know, it's still down to a physical person that makes or breaks, whether it's a driver, whether it's a mechanic, the engineer, whatever the case may be. Automating everything will take away the interest of the, the racing. Uh, today we have we use AI drivers, for example, to run the best setups for a car that when the, the real driver arrives, he just jumps in the car and, and the AI driver learns how to drive uh, the real driver would be. We even have AI driver predictions how to drive on a racetrack that nobody drove ever before. So it's a lot of, a lot of artificial intelligence used already. But again, to, to, have a, to have a hero race, you need hero drivers and that's the philosophy of DTM. Ultimately, the driver is still the hero and he must be able to almost be robotic in his driving approach. In show 138 of Inside Supercars, we spoke to Alex Somerset, who was the HSV chief designer and race engineer. He spoke about how engineers prepare for the weekend and how the driver has to be able to repeat the same sequence each time he's out on the track. It's being accurate. 100% 100% in everything, you know, getting the tyre pressure right, getting the camber right, the driver feeling exactly what's right, and driver driving a repeatable lap. You know, the driver is key that he can actually drive the car the same so you can actually fix a problem rather than chase what the driver is trying to do. And the last thing you want is a driver to compensate for a bad car. In a race, he can do that, but when you're practising, the driver really needs to be repeatable. And that, again, is um, that sets uh, drivers apart. You can find that show at sportradio.com.au. It's show 138, Alex Somerset. The driver hero and being able to identify with people is still a critical part of any sport. People connect with people, don't they? They can connect with personalities. They... It would be hard to connect with a, um, a car that doesn't have any personality that's, that's driving around on its own. If you look at sport in general and what makes sport popular, while it's still a competition and it's the cut and thrust of what happens, whether it's on a racetrack or a tennis court or a cricket pitch or, or, or an AFL oval, it's still 
the fans gravitate to personalities, and that's um, you know if you lose those personalities, you'll lose the fans. There's no question about it. So with supercars next year launching a new car called Gen 3, Stephen Richards believes they have done the right thing in not trying to adopt every technological aid available to the teams. You know, one of the key elements that supercars have done next year moving to Gen 3 is keep hold of the, the sequential gearbox. And I know it's been a, a topic of huge debate, particularly from a lot of the fans. And, and what it does, it, again, it takes away automation. It makes the driver more a part of the performance of the car. Going to going to paddle shift or going to paddle shift and things like that will lessen the cost because it'll be easier on the gearbox. But it takes away, I guess, in some ways, the romance of what motorsport is all about. The, the human factor, the fact that guys can over-rev engines and they can make mistakes, that shifting a gear too early will lock the rear wheels and cause them to run wide, creating an opportunity for cars behind. The flippant side of me says we can't get a paddle shift in supercars. How are we going to get an automated pit stop? <laughs> yeah. oh, exactly. Now that that's actually right. So I'm not uh, holding my breath. It'll be in in supercars in uh, ten or fifteen years' time. As you've heard, DTM are moving to an electric program, which will have battery or hydrogen-powered cars running in that series. So, had the paddle versus shifter debate reached Michael Russell at the DTM? To be honest, I have not heard about it. Uh, just uh, 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 skill me up. How many gears does a supercar have? So what's the? Is it like a four, five, six gear shift? Yeah, six. Yeah, six. Well, you know, our friends in NASCAR, uh, they still shift around. You know, we have we have shifted around. At the the World Rally uh, did it for a long time. I guess. Honestly speaking, when you have a race, when you're looking at a race class where your traction interruption needs to be super, super uh, quick, then uh, it's good. But could we actually at DTM still uh, stick shift? I believe so. I think it's a, it's really a, a, a philosophic uh, question of how you want. It's not a big tech uh, game changer. It's it's more like uh, a philosophic uh, way how to how you want to run and and be accepted as a, as a race class. So, what does Michael think of the comments of one of the supercar sponsors who suggested the series should make sure the racing was closer so that they don't need to show as many shots of the drivers changing gears? Well, I, I didn't know that you guys use in-car cameras to to sort of uh, market the, the the stick shift. But yeah, if, you know, as I said, you know, that's you. You can. I, I personally have a have a car with a with a pedal shift. You know, I think I used it. I have the car since five years. If I have used the pedal shift once during uh, the entire time, and that was just at the hill of my parents, just test it out. It doesn't give me any any goosebumps. <laughs> While DTM Electric and Supercars Gen Three are well under development. Robo Race is about to kick off its first official season. There's plenty of options available for the racing fan to get their AI, automation, autonomous, or even just old school manual racing fix moving forward. My thanks today to Michael Russell, Stephen Richards, and Jeremy Moore. 
I hope you can join us next time round on Inside Supercars. Until then, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.